This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, I know uh, you've already been wished a happy Father's Day a couple of times, but let me add my greetings to that. Um, I trust you have a great Father's Day today. It's good to be back with you um, for a little bit longer uh, while we wait for the commencement of our new senior pastor, Pastor Travis. Thanks for the welcome back, by the way. Um, as most of you know, as, uh, as Lewis just indicated, uh, we, uh, Christine and I, uh, recently returned uh, from an interstate holiday. Uh, several of you have asked us, as you've been welcoming us back, um, what was the highlight? And my immediate response has always been, well, catching up with our son in Darwin. Uh, but especially a three-night camping trip with him in Kakadu. It was a very pleasant surprise, actually, that he'd organised without telling us. Um, I guess, for me, uh, it felt a bit like an early Father's Day present, which uh, was very welcome. You'd love to see some photos, wouldn't you? Yes? A few, a few yes, and not an overwhelming yes. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, look, just, just two... There we go, um, outside Kakadu and uh, swimming with our son in one of the water holes that he took us to. I also want to tell you about something that happened while we were in Darwin. Uh, it's a lost and found story. The day after we arrived, three men and two teenagers went missing on a fishing trip in a, a rather small dinghy, a tinny. Initially, Marine Rescue searched for them uh, without success. Uh, then three private aircraft were brought in, as well as a, a police aircraft, as the police were searching for them as well. When they still weren't found, um, and there was some rising concern, some, some real concern, rising fears for their safety, uh, Australian Defence Force helicopters joined in. It was our son and his co-pilot who actually found them at 1am uh, in the morning, 36 hours after they went missing. Uh, this is from the Northern Territory Times, which I'll put up because most of you probably haven't read the Northern Territory Times. So there we go. Uh, that's actually the co-pilot in the picture, not our son, uh, but it was his helicopter, uh, the one that he was flying. The boaties were suffering um, severe dehydration and exposure, but fortunately they all survived their ordeal. Uh, they'd had mechanical problems with their outboard motor, no reception on their mobiles. Uh, they drifted about 20 miles from where they were supposed to be. You can imagine the anxiety of the families while they were lost, but you can no doubt imagine the jubilation that they had when their loved ones were found and found safe. This morning I'm preaching on a biblical lost and found story. It's from Luke's Gospel, uh, which we've been using this term in our series for God Alone. Luke seems to have a problem, uh, not, not a problem, a, a particular interest uh, in lost and found stories, uh, more so than the other 
Gospels. Uh, for example, he begins his book uh, with uh, the story of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, uh, who loses his voice uh, just before his son is conceived and gets it back just after his birth. Now, only Luke tells that story. In Luke 15, there are three other stories that only Luke recounts. A widow who loses a special precious coin and then finds it again, with much rejoicing, of course. A sheep who gets lost, but the shepherd leaves his 99 sheep and goes and finds it, the lost sheep, and brings it back into the fold, into safety. And in that same chapter, chapter 15, uh, another story you'll know well, a son who leaves his devoted father and gets lost in a far-off country. Not physically lost, because he actually knew where he was, even though his father didn't know where he was. But he was clearly lost in the sense that he'd lost his way in life and was on the wrong track. He eventually returns home to his father who lovingly welcomes him, as you know, you know the story, welcomes him back with rejoicing. Actually, the other son in that story was also lost, even though he'd never left home. He was lost in his bitterness and resentment towards his brother and his father, and that's an important part of that lost and found story. Two nights ago, uh, two Sunday nights ago, Josh White uh, preached on the story of Zacchaeus. Again, a story which is only in Luke. And the story ends with Jesus saying, the Son of Man came to seek and to find the lost. There are some common elements in all these lost and found stories. And in the other one I'll be concentrating on, I will get to it uh, pretty soon. Uh, but there are here are some common uh, so, some common elements to these lost and found stories. They begin with the status quo, but then there is some kind of disruption to the normal state of affairs, to the status quo, which results in unwanted disconnection. There's disconnection between the woman and her coin, between the shepherd and his sheep, between the wife and her husband who are overdue on a fishing trip and not answering their phones between you and your wallet or your passport or your key. Um, I throw that in as an example because it's a very personal uh, <laughs> reflection I had. Uh, I won't go into that story. That's a long one. Disconnection between the father and the son who leaves home and becomes lost in a far country. Because of the disconnection due to the disruption of the status quo, anxiety enters the system, enters the story. The tension in the story is whether the anxiety will be resolved and whether the status quo or the equilibrium will be restored. The woman frantically cleans out the house searching for the coin as she goes. The shepherd is so worried about the sheep that he... Uh, that, that has wandered off, that he's prepared to leave the other 99 behind and go searching for it. You or I, I can't stop thinking about that wallet that you can't find. Where did I put it? Where did I have it? Uh, could someone have picked it up or stolen it? Uh, what about my credit card? 
The parent, let's say father, seeing it's Father's Day, the parent who loses a child in a crowd, you're distracted for just a moment at the footy game and your daughter disappears. Wandered off? Playing Heidi's? Snatched? The anxiety steadily increases the longer that you can't find her. The lost and found story I want to especially draw your attention to this morning is another one that is found only in Luke. And this one's a story about Jesus. It occurs between the account of his presentation in the temple when he's 40 days old and the start of his public ministry at the age of 30. In fact, this is the only story that we have of Jesus between those times in any of the Gospels. It's at the end of Luke 2, and I'm reading from the Message Bible. I think it brings some freshness to this well-known story. Every year, Jesus' parents travelled to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up, as they always did, for the feast. When it was over and they left for home, the child Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. These verses set the scene. It's Passover, that great Jewish holiday, celebrating the deliverance of the Israelites from their long slavery in Egypt. Joseph and Mary uh, had joined the crowds of pilgrims going to Jerusalem to worship and to offer their sacrifices at the temple. Jesus, age 12, was with them this year in particular. We get a picture uh, putting uh, that together, just scanned information, but the impression that we get is of a faithful, devout and close family. This is the status quo, but it's disrupted and there is disconnection. Thinking he was somewhere in the company of pilgrims, they journeyed for a whole day and then began looking for him among their relatives and neighbours. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. The next day, they found him in the temple seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were all quite taken with him, impressed with the sharpness of his answers. But his parents were not impressed. They were upset and hurt. Joseph and Mary lose Jesus. <laughs> they start back for home in Nazareth, but after a day's journey, they realise he's not with them. Status quo disrupted. Disconnection. Anxiety. How could it have happened, we wonder? How could they have been so careless? It's hard to fathom, but at least part of the answer, I think, lies in the nature of the, the pilgrim crowd. As Lewis said, it takes a village to raise a child. Maybe that's part of it. But the women and children travel together ahead of the men and the older boys. Jesus, at 12 years of age, was on the, the cusp of his coming of age which was considered to be 13. 
Even today, that's when a Jewish boy has his bar mitzvah and literally becomes a son of the law or a son of commandment. At this transition age, it's possible that Mary thought he was with the men and Joseph thought he was still with the women and the children. However it happened, they rushed back to Jerusalem and searched for him, of course. With anxiety rising hour by hour, they finally find him three days after the initial separation. They find him in the temple, as we heard, with the, the teachers, not just listening, but questioning and answering with amazing wisdom. Mary is the one who confronts him. Uh, Joseph actually takes a back seat in this story. Uh, why did we decide to preach on this on Father's Day? Maybe it should have been for Mother's Day. It's certainly not because Joseph is the main character here. It's for other reasons. So, this is what Mary says. His mother said, young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. He said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my father? But they had no idea what he was talking about. Mary and Joseph were anxious to say the least. Some translations actually have Mary saying, your father and I have been looking for you anxiously. To express the tone, uh, there probably ought to be a couple of exclamation marks after the end of that sentence, at the end of her words. Because I, I'm sure that's how she would have said it. But note that Jesus wasn't anxious. Mary and Joseph were because they thought he was lost. But Jesus didn't think he was lost. He just, quote, stayed behind, end quote, to dialogue with the teachers. He knew exactly where he was and it was exactly where he thought he ought to be. The answer that Jesus gives Mary may seem somewhat disrespectful, but there's a lot going on here, and I think this is actually the key verse in the whole story. So let's consider this uh, at a little bit more length for just a moment. Notice that Jesus' answer to Mary's question is actually two questions. Jesus often seems to do that, answer a question with a question, probably to get the person to think a little bit more deeply. It's Jesus' second question that is the most significant. Don't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my Father? That's the, the Message Bible, uh, not known for literal translation usually. It's, it's known as a paraphrase, trying to put the, the meaning of it into common language. Um, but... This is actually a, a good translation of the Greek, the things of my father. Some other versions have in my father's house or about my father's business, but there's no Greek word for either house or business. Now, that doesn't mean they're bad translations because that's the sense, uh, in my father's house, about my father's business, Concerned with the things of my father, that all 
gives the, the correct sense of the Greek. And in a way, they mean much the same thing. I want to zero in on two things here. Firstly, Jesus' use of the term father, and secondly, that expression, things of my father or my father's business. First of all, Jesus' use of the word father. Mary said, your father and I have been looking for you. But in stark contrast, Jesus um, also using the word father, but in a different way. He, he uses the word referring to his heavenly father. In so doing, he talks about God in a very personal way that was rare for the Jews. He indicates here a commitment to his heavenly father. He also shows that this for him is the most important relationship. Even at 12 in the temple, Jesus was displaying what developmental psychologists refer to as individuation. The process of forming identity distinct from parents or major carers including the development of one's own ideas and, most importantly, one's own beliefs. Along with his growing awareness of being the son of God is a growing attachment and commitment to his heavenly father. Later on uh, in his public ministry, uh, Jesus taught and, and emphasises that this too is to be the preeminent relationship for any disciple. Not earthly parents, but Father God, as our current series title puts it, for God alone. Now, that's probably not the kind of message you're expecting on Father's Day. I'm not saying that the father-child or mother-child relationship is not important. We need to work hard to make sure that these relationships are healthy. The same goes for all relationships. But whether you are a son, a father, a daughter, a mother or whoever, then your relationship with God must come first. Anything that prevents or interrupts that connection with God needs to be diligently dealt with. And anything that facilitates that connection needs to be fostered. Jesus doesn't just call God Father, but he talks about the Father's business, the things of the Father. Jesus' answer doesn't just indicate the priority of his relationship with his Heavenly Father, it also indicates the priority of his commitment to the Father's will. Whatever else... He was going to carry out the father's business. But that leaves open the question, what, what is the father's business? What is that? What are the things of the father? His earthly father's business was carpentry. Um, that's easy to understand. But what about his heavenly father's business? Well, there are probably many different ways to answer that. But I think of God's business as salvation. God's in the business of saving people, bringing them into a, a, an eternal relationship with himself. That's why God sent Jesus. That was Jesus' mission, to die on the cross so that we could all be saved and be part of God's family.
as Jesus grew in years and wisdom, it seems he also grew in awareness of what his mission was and how that would be accomplished. He remained committed to it right to the end. The very night before his crucifixion, he prayed to his father, not my will, but yours be done. Now again, whether you're a father, a daughter, a son, a mother, whoever, it's worth remembering and celebrating, especially on Father's Day, that through the death of Jesus, you have a great heavenly Father who loves you, loves us infinitely more than any earthly father could. After their conversation with Jesus in the temple, Luke says Mary and Joseph didn't understand what he was on about. This was a disruption to the family status quo that they couldn't yet understand. Does this sound familiar? Parents not understanding their tween-ager? Who would have thought? Um, Pretty common, I suspect. Apart from various other dynamics, the process of a child's individuation itself can cause all sorts of disruptions to the family system, especially if the individuation leads the child in a direction that the parents disagree with. Here's a hypothetic to ponder. Imagine you've never heard this story before. You're given the script up to this point and invited to write a conclusion. What would your ending be like? A happy ending? Would that make sense, tagged onto that? Or would it be a sad or depressing ending? Would there be growing conflict and misunderstanding? Or would your story end with peaceful harmony? Well, here are the last two verses of the story. So he went back to Jerusalem with them and lived obediently with them. His mother held these things dearly, deep within herself, uh, within her heart, some of the other translations say. And Jesus matured, growing up in both body and spirit, blessed by both God and people. Seems to me that that's a pretty good ending. Not only does Jesus return home with his parents, but he lives obediently with them, honouring them as required by the law that he'd been learning and knew off by heart by now. But he does that even while remaining committed to his heavenly father and the father's business. And Mary, for her part, continues to reflect on this event to try and understand Uh, presumably Joseph does as too, uh, does as well, although he's not mentioned um, in that respect. So I think a very good ending. Except it's not the end, is it? Because Luke's account continues on then to tell of Jesus' public ministry, his death and resurrection, and finally his return to his heavenly father, to the relationship that was there from the beginning. Family dynamics are always changing, aren't they? They were for Joseph and Mary and their family. They are for us and our families too 
in different ways. What I am convinced of, though, is that when we love God first and foremost, and when we prioritise the Father's business, then the ending to the stories of our lives will always be a far better than any conclusion that we could have brought about on our own. So, friends, fathers, mothers, children, whoever, make your story a great one, won't you, by putting your heavenly father and the father's business first, utmost priority. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.